Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine, voted top 10 podcast of the year by nobody. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. A programming note before we start, this will be the last new episode of the year. My network, the Wave Network, is taking a couple of weeks off for the holidays, so uh, I will be back with new episodes in the coming year. But I'm going to close out this year with a good one. On January 1st at 8 o'clock on Fox, there is going to be a two-hour documentary about M.A.S.H. called M.A.S.H., the comedy that changed television. It is a documentary that was made by John Scheinfeld, who has done a number of terrific documentaries. John has actually been a guest on this podcast before, and he behaved himself. So having him back to talk about MASH and the documentary. So John Scheinfeld, my guest this week on Hollywood and Levine. First of all, John, what prompted you to make a documentary about MASH in the first place? Well, it's all uh, Gene Reynolds and uh, Burt Metcalf's fault. Um, they were mentors to me in, uh, when I first got in the business, uh, in the scripted world, and, uh, and stayed friends uh, right up until their unfortunate passing. And as I developed a bit of a profile in the documentary world, I really wanted to do this for them. There hadn't been a MASH documentary in some years and not really a definitive one. And I just felt their good work in terms of, 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 of developing and producing this show really needed to be honored. And that's what got me started on. Well, it's a massive project considering there were, what, 254 episodes, something like that. Uh, yeah. Did you have to sit through all of them when I was there, we did the clip show, which was season seven, and we had to sit at night and like watch every episode and try to pick out scenes and things. And that was exhausting. That took thousands of hours. Did you have to do that as well? Yes, but thereby hangs the tale, Ken. Um, 
what happened was um, Bert and I, Bert Metcalf and I were talking about this back in 2014. And as he and Gene were getting older, I just thought now's the time to do it. So we cobbled together some money and we shot interviews with all the living cast members, um, Gene, Bert, and uh, six of the writers, you being one of them. And then I couldn't sell it. We came close in 2015. We sold it to CBS and it was bought by Les Moonves. And then Les Moonves was no more at CBS. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the new the new guy didn't want to do it. So that didn't happen. And every year or two, I, I would trot it out and try to sell it. And it, it didn't seem to, to, to be the right time. Either it wasn't the right anniversary or whatever. Uh, and then in, in 2022, um, I took it out again for uh, what I thought would be a no-brainer sale for the 50th anniversary of the premiere of MASH in 1972. And obviously, Ken, I have no brains because we were not able to sell it that year. What we got a lot of was, well, SKU's too old for us. Or we have, like Netflix, had no connection to MASH. Amazon had no connection to MASH. Um, even Hulu, which is streaming all 11 seasons of MASH, right. wasn't interested. Excuse too old for us. Um, they wanted to be, and I think still do, want to be a millennial channel. And they said, you know, John, for us, history is the 90s. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> Ken, I don't know what that means for people like you and me, but there you go. Um Anyway, and then I just thought it wasn't going to happen. And then Bert passed away last year. Gene had passed you know, away a few years before that. So I was really beginning to think I had failed here. I really hadn't been able to do this. And then long story short, in, in September of this year, uh, I had a conversation with uh, our mutual friend, Dan Harrison, uh, who is head of scheduling at Fox. And it turns out, because of the writer's strike and because of the actor's strike, they had a hole in the schedule. Um, so the good news is they wanted to finally, nine years later, order the MASH documentary. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news is uh, the hole in the schedule was January 1st. So I had about three months to do what I normally do in nine to 12 months. Uh and they were offering us um, much less money than than what we normally get for these things. But I really wanted to do this for Gene and Bert. So we sucked it up and uh, we've been killing ourselves with six and seven day weeks ever since. And part of that is screening all 251 episodes, uh, which amongst my team, we spread out that that task. And um, we, we did, uh, and we had a little help from people, but uh, with suggestions, but mostly we had to go through and pick out those uh, clips that best illustrated uh, what what uh, the people said and the stories they told. And the concept um, basically is MASH seen through the eyes of the people who made it. We're not like talking to a bunch of stars telling us how much they love MASH or anything like that. It's a really intimate look at the show through all the uh, the living cast members. So we shot interviews with everybody except um, David Ogden Stiers, who uh, wasn't available and, and, in fact, died somewhat shortly after that. Um, and never did. wanted to be interviewed by anybody regarding MASH. It's, it's very interesting how he just 
separated himself from Mash for reasons I don't know. Yeah. But uh, for the the rest of his life. Uh, Very much so. When when uh, Bert called him um, to ask if he'd want to do this, and he said, "I do not wish to turn on the nostalgia faucet," and that was that. So we're not sure about that. It could be that. It could be you know he did get ill and, and pass away. Maybe he was ill at the time. We're not quite sure. But we did get Bill Christopher, who died the next year. We got Wayne Rogers, who died the, the next year. Um, we were not able to get, of course, um, Larry Linville and Harry Morgan um, and McLean Stevenson because they had passed away before we shot this batch of interviews. Uh, but I'm happy to say we tracked down some nice archival interviews with them um, talking about their characters. And uh, so they are represented in the show, along with your friend, uh, Larry Gelbart. And we well, you can't do a documentary can't. about MASH without Larry Gelbart. <laughs> it's <laughs> like <laughs> Larry Gelbart and Alan Alda are the two faces, really, of of MASH. Uh, now, you mentioned that you interviewed the writers. I'm going to give you shit because from what I understand, and it's just so typical that <laughs> we don't make the cut, Right. <laughs> and it, not my fault, uh, Ken. Uh, all uh, the six writers that we interviewed, you and uh, David Isaacs, uh, Thad Mumford, Dan Wilcox, and uh, Elias Davis and David Pollock, all friends of mine. Uh, and uh, it was really a network choice that they just wanted the stars uh, uh, talking about the show. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have all your interviews. I, I can embarrass you with them at some point uh, later on. Maybe we'll do a a director's cut or we'll do a bonus uh, material. On a there you go. Thing, you know, there you uh, go. But all of you guys were great. It, uh, but just not, uh, not for this show, sadly. Yeah. I remember it was fascinating because we went up to your house to do the interviews. And at the time you were also doing a documentary about Watergate. Yeah. And I recall going to the kitchen to get some water and there's Carl Bernstein rooting <laughs> through your refrigerator. <laughs> what a memory. Yes, yeah, just a typical day at <laughs> John Scheinfeld's house. <laughs> yeah, we, we were doing um, uh, Dick Cavett's Watergate for PBS. And uh, 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 over the two days uh, that we were doing uh, the MASH interviews, we, we piggybacked them and we did interviews with Carl Bernstein, who was out here, and with John Dean, who lives out here. And yeah, kind of an interesting uh, mixing and matching of, uh, of talent on those days. All right. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Sure. Because you know a lot about the history of MASH. You're, you know, you spent a lot of time with Gene Reynolds and us and Burt Metcalf. Now you're going to be hearing recollections from the actors and you're probably going to be hearing some things that aren't really true. Ooh, am I hearing some tone in your voice there, Ken? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're, you're, you're going to hear some things, some stories where you're going to go, mm, that's not my understanding of how that happened. Uh, what do you do in a situation like that? Well, it's a, it's a great question. Um, 
for any uh, documentary I make, um, there's always a possibility that you will have uh, people telling the story differently. And it's my job as, as the filmmaker to figure out where the truth lies. Um, unlike a scripted piece um, where you can take some dramatic license with, with history and, and what might have really happened or who might have done what, uh, in documentaries, we have to be in service to the truth. So I have to be able to corroborate this with two or maybe three sources before I'll, I'll put it in. Um, but in this case, we're not doing a, a straight ahead history of MASH, you know, 1972, bum, 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 bum. Uh, what I thought would make for a more interesting and different kind of narrative structure was um, it's all seen and heard through the comings and goings of the cast members. Um, what is the essence of their character? How did they come to play this? That sort of thing. With some book ending with, with Gene and, and Larry uh, developing the show and that sort of thing. So uh, it wasn't so much behind the scenes stories as, as it was sort of talking about their characters and how it impacted the show and all that sort of thing. And so uh, because I had interviewed so many of you, um, it, it was somewhat easier for me to, well, okay, I've heard this like three times. This is, this is the, the truth here. So that's really how you do it. And if, and if it's just one person's recollection, generally I won't put it in. Interesting. So uh, oftentimes documentaries live and die by controversy. <laughs> and I suspect that you had very little or none of that, you know, because <laughs> there weren't any real feuds between cast members. You know, there wasn't any uh, contract walkout like friends. Uh, it ran very smoothly despite what any of the tabloids might have said uh you're absolutely right um this was pretty much a drama-free comedy you'll pardon the expression um we uh um so we weren't really uh, pinning any of our storytelling to those kinds of things uh as you know so well uh it really was a family at mash and that comes across in every interview that I did um, great respect for one another, even, you, you know, we've all seen it in the business where uh, a star might be fired or, or, or quits and never speaks to their, their colleagues again. And here we are, you know, almost 50 years or we are 50 years later, but um, Wayne Rogers, uh, when I interviewed him, he was still friends with everybody. You know, he left after three, year, three years and he was friends with everybody. Uh, we have this archival interview with McLean Stevenson where, you know, he had left, but you could just tell the emotion and, and, and the positive feelings that he had about uh, the show and the people that he worked with. So, yes, very drama free. I think rather what we did was to try to identify those things that made the characters so beloved, but also the kinds of episodes that all of you did that made the show so different from any other uh, comedy on the air at the time, certainly. And, and, and in many cases, uh, comedies that have been on the air since. Okay. Here's me being a whore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for an intro? <laughs> okay. I don't mind that you're not using any of my interview 
God forbid I don't get my face on Fox. But <laughs> do you at least use some of our episodes? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes, we All do. Right. We have, we have um, this, this documentary is jam-packed with clips from throughout the 11 years of the series. Um, and there are a number of episodes that you and David wrote and, uh, and the other guys. Uh, and then, of course, we spend a lot of time, uh, we spend the whole last act, uh, act 10 of, of, of 10, uh, on uh, Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen. But no, we have many, many uh, of the interesting uh, and, and different episodes. And uh, I have a feeling that you will uh, you will be watching this. Oh, that's me. That's me. Uh, okay. See, I ask this because I make money <laughs> on, on the clips. Yes. Okay. You'll, make some, you'll, you'll make some money on this show. Right. Okay. So if it's a choice between me being on Fox and me making money, <laughs> I'm much prouder of my shows than my face anyway. So, uh, well, <laughs> so that there, works. There out. you go. You know what? It, uh, this one is an interesting thing. You know, each documentary I do kind of takes on a, its own uh, narrative through line and its own sense of pace. And this one ended up being a little different. I and mean, I can't tell you exactly why it unfolded the way it did, but this is what I would call a rhythm show. Um, uh, you guys, I know used to have things called rhythm jokes and rhythm scenes, but this was a, this is a rhythm documentary where we got into this rhythm where um, someone will start to tell the story. We have a clip to illustrate what they're talking about. A little bit more of the story, another clip, a little bit more. more, more so we have many, many clips here that illustrate the points that the people are making. And uh, uh, I just think it's, it's, you know, it's my love letter to MASH, um, but it's also super entertaining. Uh, and yet, as you know, MASH, MASH did something that so few half hour shows did is that they really um, blended comedy with drama. And we show that very pointedly in the documentary. There's a lot of laughs in the show, but there's also some of those poignant, uh, more dramatic moments that reveal uh, different sides of the characters. Well, I maintain that MASH is maybe the most unique situation comedy ever because it's built on an existential dilemma. Mm. I mean, you don't have that with uh, Angie or <laughs> 30 Rock. <laughs> you right. know, the idea that these people were put in a situation basically against their will with the objective to save lives in a war where the objective is to kill as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. And how they dealt with that is, again, normally not what you would see on a regular comedy. But even at the time we were making the show, we knew that that this was unique and special. What we didn't know was that 50 years later, people still would be watching and appreciating and making documentaries about the show. You know, we just, let's get a joke so that we can go to lunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this is, uh, this is the power of, of great television. And that's what MASH was, great television. Um, it, it, one of the things that just pissed me off uh, over the last nine years while I was trying to find a home for this 
was people saying, well, it's too old. Oh, it's, you know, it's old time TV. It's who cares? And I think what they don't realize is, is just how multi-generational MASH is. Uh, Mike Farrell tells a, uh, has a great soundbite in, in the documentary where he talks about. Oh, sure. He used Mike Farrell. Fine. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> he, he talks about how back in the day when the show was on the air, people would say, you know, I never watched TV, but I always watched MASH. Uh, and then then it became, you know, I watch with my kids and now it's like I watch it with my grandkids or, or, or the new generation saying I watch it with my parents or I'm watching it with my kids. And I think that's something that makes MASH very unique as well, is that the show that you guys wrote and produced um, is timeless. Um, it, it wasn't dependent on, on, you know, being current and, 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 and talking about current trends or anything like that. It was very much about the human condition. And that's something that is timeless. And you really see it in all the clips and even talking about the characters. They're, they're just they're so human. Um, that that they're not really tied to any, any one decade, even though it is set in a particular time period. And I think that's what makes it so um, interesting and, and entertaining 50 years on. Yeah, even at the time we were writing it, which was 20 years after the period, 20 to 30, considering the show went 11 years. But uh, we would put in references to obscure 50s actors, Adolf Manju and, and things like that. And we knew that 90% of the audience isn't going to get this, but 10% will. And it just added to the authenticity of the show being set in the 1950s. And, and it was worth it for us to do that. And we took a lot of care to make sure that the show felt like it was really set in the 1950s. And of course, and I imagine you touch on this a lot in the documentary as well, there is the parallel that we never brought up, but was always there. It was a parallel to the Vietnam War. Yes, exactly. We we do touch on that uh, about as much as you guys did. <laughs> you know, we do, we do touch on, we explain it, and then sort of uh, move on to the next point. But what we do have a lot, and I'll be interested in your thoughts on this. Uh, what what we did hear from so many of 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 the stars was just how brilliantly and creatively all of you would make the transitions when one actor left and somebody else came in, and it wasn't replacing somebody so much as finding new notes or new flavors and new textures and talk about, why don't you talk about that well it's interesting for us having a new character was a godsend because the show was locked in in its time and place and every other sitcom you can give mary richards a new apartment you can marry off somebody, you can have kids, you can go in a different direction. But in MASH, we were locked into that time and space. And so the only way to really shake up the chemistry was to have a new character enter the 4077 and have him be somebody who was different 
than any of the other characters that had preceded him. And so I remember we were there, we were part of creating the Charles Winchester character. He came aboard the beginning of season six. And for us, even though we loved Larry Linville and Frank Burns, for us, it was great to have a new character where we said, okay, we'll have an antagonist, but he won't be a straw man. We'll have somebody who is just as smart as Hawkeye and BJ and make him an even better surgeon than Hawkeye and BJ. And all of a sudden, the dynamics are going to be very, very different. We were very excited about that. And I, it, gave I really, you so, it gave you so much more to write for. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I remember the night that David premiered, we were at Gene Reynolds' house having a premiere party. And I'm sitting on the couch next to David, and the show's about to come on. And uh, we premiered with an hour episode. And I said to him, one hour from now, your life is going to change forever. And he kind of poo-pooed it and said, it's, it's a TV show. It's, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> I go, okay. Like three days later, I'm on the stage and he comes up to me and he goes, oh, my God, you were <laughs> right. I can't go into a market. And I said, that's week one, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that's episode one. So, well, see, that's another interesting thing. And you and I have talked about this uh, over over the years. But, you know, back then there were there were only three networks, three major networks. And and the the audience pool were so much larger and the audiences were so much larger that that would absolutely happen. You would get recognized here, there or or, or whatever. And people would really respond as if these were members of their own family. Um, we have a lot of people talking about the Abyssinia Henry episode um, with with McLean's leaving. And uh, that was an interesting one. Go back to what you were talking about before. Uh, I heard like five different stories about what happened that day. And most of them sort of overlapped, even to the point of Gary Berghoff wondering, uh, had a particular uh, feeling about what Larry Gelbart had in his manila envelope with the, the one page of the script they hadn't seen. Down to that point, there, and there were a few other things that didn't quite match up, so we, we didn't tell those stories. But um, uh, you had those moments that really were different than any other show. And what they did in that episode, for example, and I don't want to give it away for people who may not remember or whatever, but there was something very special that happened in that episode that, that really very few other TV shows, drama or comedy would have attempted. And I don't know whether you mentioned this in the documentary or not, but yeah, there was a huge outcry about it. And lots of people wrote letters. This was before social media. So you write a letter to MASH, to the producers of MASH. And Larry Gelbart and Gene Reynolds hand wrote responses to every single person who wrote a letter to MASH regarding that episode. Every single and, one. And all the letters received, as I understand it, are now at the Smithsonian uh, Institute. No. Uh, 
so that uh, they are there. Actually, I found some in uh, in uh, in Bert's uh, papers after he passed away. Uh, he, he had uh, saved a bunch of letters from that particular episode and, and, and a few others. Now, when did you and, and David start with the show? We started season five and we ended season eight. Goodbye Radar was ah, our right. last episode. Yeah. Imagine you show a bit of that. We we do. Uh, Gary tells um, in his in his interview with me, he explained why he left from his point of view. And uh, and I thought it was quite honest and, and quite open about it. And we intercut uh, clips from that episode, uh, which are, are very there's a little bit of fun, but it's also quite uh, poignant and, uh, and and beautifully written. Thank you. I mean, one of the things that we try to do, which is interesting because it's complete contrast to the last episode, is we did not want to send him off with everybody doing big, long, maudlin speeches. And so we designed the show so that as he was about to leave, there were patients and there was triage. And the goodbyes could only be on the run in passing one or two lines. Mm-hmm. And um, and there's yeah. a lovely scene you guys did at the end. I, I don't want to spoil it for people who may not remember the exact moment, but um, it's with just radar alone. And and it's just it's it's poignant. And then there's a huge laugh at the end, <laughs> which you guys crafted very nicely. <laughs> Well, again, very proud of the show. There was 60 minutes. This was probably 20 years ago. Did a piece on ageism with writers. And one of the MASH freelance writers said that he took MASH off of his resume because it made him skew too old. And I thought to myself, the day I take MASH off my resume is the day <laughs> I go and sell ties at Macy's. <laughs> you know, it's like, I am so proud to have been a part of that. Like, why would you ever sweep that under the rug? Well, as well, you should be. Um, and again, I think it's one of the things we track in in the documentary is uh, there was an ebb and a flow over 11 years. People came, people went, but the excellence of the show stayed the same. Um, Bert said to me one time that uh, you can measure a show. Uh, you know, I'm thinking now, Ken, you, and, and you'll probably correct me on this. I think he may have been quoting Gene on this. But what Bert said to me one time was he said, you can measure a series by the, the number of least crappy episodes you did. Yeah, that's 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 a Gene yeah yeah and uh and and looking at these 251 episodes as we did there were very I mean, you could count on two hands maybe maybe even one hand the number of episodes that really weren't as uh up, up to par um, we used to have what we called our oscar show because mash was up against the oscars on monday night so we would just put our worst show up against the Oscars. We would just hold back our worst show and air it that night. And 
we still probably got 20 million <laughs> viewers you know <laughs> it's like our our worst show probably had four to five times the ratings that the current oscars get right yeah i mean you it's know. just it's, it's amazing and and of course the the very last episode goodbye farewell and amen um to this day is the highest rated telecast of a show in television history. I don't think it'll ever be topped. No, it can't in this, in this fractured landscape in which we're working at the moment. Yeah. I don't think it ever will be. We, uh, we, we have a nice little sequence uh, in, in, in the documentary uh, about that. A lot of different stories uh, about it. And uh, um, uh, Alan talks a little bit about his feeling is that more than half the country was was watching the show and 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 many people that weren't measured because there were people like multiple people in multiple homes and they only measured one tv but there sure. were like many people there you know that's right and uh bert uh and alan tell the story uh i i don't think it's in the it's, it's in the documentary because um we uh, we had a time issue but uh it takes a while to tell it but they were telling a story about how um uh, on the night it aired in New York City, uh, the water usage levels exploded once the show was over, meaning that no one went to the toilet while the show was on. And as soon as Goodbye, Farewell and Amen ended, everybody went to the toilet, flushed the water, and, and these explosive uh, numbers uh, were there for water usage. Yeah, it was truly a shared experience, which, again, is something we have so few of these days you know maybe the super bowl but there's so few events where the entire country gets together and participates in a single event and yeah that was the the biggest you should get your show sold just for that I mean, you go, no. what, there's 126 million people or so watch yeah. watch that. I think if you go to a network and you say, if 10% of those people are still interested in MASH. <laughs> okay, that's a massive that, hit today. <laughs> that's five times more people than you get for your number one show. <laughs> Um, a lot of uh, in the documentary, a lot of the actors uh, uh, talk about their characters and the interaction with the others. And, and, and they do praise the writing and all of that. Um, from your vantage point, when you were there, who, who were the easiest characters to write for and who were the most challenging characters to write for? I would say the easiest would be uh, Hawkeye. Uh and Klinger was always fun. Uh, for me, Radar was very easy. For hmm. some reason, I was able to channel Radar double talk. Uh, the hardest characters for us, I would say, would be uh, Father Mulcahy. Hmm. Just because there's no edge to him. And <laughs> to try to find things that make him funny was very difficult. 
and at times uh, Margaret ah. was, was kind of hard. But you were there at the time, and, and we spent some time. We have a whole sequence about this, where Hot Lips became Margaret. Mm-hmm. And and the actors, especially Loretta, speak with great pride about that transition. And you were, guys were there really while that was being made, I think. And, yeah, we were there pretty much during that. And What made that hard? What made that hard? Because she wasn't as funny. Mm. You know, her character just became more serious. And so it was hard for us to find things for her to do. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, On the other hand. See, all of this stuff would be uh, very interesting for the documentary, but we don't need writers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, but on the other hand, I think what, what you did do, uh, was to create a, a, a character with more colors and more depth. Right. And, uh, maybe she would balance off some of the, the, the more broad comedy, uh, with a cleaner or a, a radar. And, 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 I mean, that's what kind of struck me looking at all these episodes and, and, and what we see in the documentary is, um, you had such a, a broad palette to work with, with these characters. And each one was capable of doing something a little different. No one duplicated anyone else. And so it, it struck me that you could actually take interesting story turns uh, with one character that would be just for that character and not that you could plug in someone else to do it. And they were all so very skilled that even if you ask them to do something that might be kind of out of their comfort zone, they were able to do it. And an example of that was the episode that David and I wrote, uh, Point of View, where all of a sudden they have to talk directly into the camera, which is something that as an actor, you are told never, ever do. (laughs) And they had to talk into the camera and relate to the camera as a person and they all did it so beautifully and they all stayed in character. Um, yeah. You know, and that was one of the things we were sort of worried about was, you know, we're making the actors do something that is totally against their nature. And they all stepped up and, and did a great job. I mean, that, that's the, the thing we never, ever in writing a show would come up with an idea and say, yeah, but he couldn't pull that off. Right. Yeah. He doesn't have the chops to do that. Yeah. That would be really funny if we had somebody else, but we can't do that with him. We never, we never had that with, with our actors. We never felt that there were any limitations that were placed on, on any of our actors. We were so spoiled. Yeah, I mean, how rare is that? Mm-hmm. You and I have both been around situations where someone's been cast and you got to deal with it, but they're not funny. Right. Or, or they can't do the more serious moments or or whatever. I've been watching, um, just because a friend of mine is one of the producers, I've been watching a contemporary sitcom that shall remain nameless. But um, they've cast um, a group, a family of characters not one of whom is really funny <laughs> and it's a comedy show. 
Mm-hmm. And they, they must look the part or thought that, you know, this is what they ought to be, but they don't know their way around a joke. They don't know their way around a funny situation. And that's why you can really appreciate a show like MASH. And, and again, you see it with all the clips that we have is, is just how skilled these actors were and, and just uh, the great words that they were given. Well, uh, the, Loretta um, says, for example, Loretta says, for example, at one moment, she says, you know, sometimes it's, it's years later, you look back and, and, and realize just how lucky you were. She says, we knew at the time how blessed we were to have the writers we had and the actors that we had. I would and say I that's that true. Volumes. I would absolutely say that's true. Yeah. At the time. And, and we was... actually, in, going back to, 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 um, uh, point of view, um, you can take me to lunch on, on the money you'll, you'll get from the clips we feature from that. In the all, right. <laughs> yeah, all right. All right. <laughs> we, uh, we have a whole act, uh, 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 devoted to, um, the, the more experimental episodes that the show did. And we highlight uh, four of the ones that were my favorites. And, uh, and uh, that's all in one act. You know, the, the interesting thing is, um, you know, from when we spoke last, I do a lot of theatrical documentaries um, or for streaming where you don't have to have the act breaks and, and leave for commercials. This is a, a bit more like my Gary Marshall uh, documentary where uh, we did it. We did that one for ABC and this one is for Fox. And so we, we have to split it into acts and we had to fit a, a fill a time slot. And so we only had a certain amount of time to work with. So in some ways, uh, we did not uh, have the opportunity to go deeper into certain things. Um, and uh, and that was a, a disappointment. You know, had, had, had we had another 15, 20 minutes, as we would in a feature length doc, we could have done that. But I think we, we were able to touch on all the key points and and really leave people on a nostalgic high with clips from either shows that they remember or, or shows that they will really appreciate uh, 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 from this uh, vantage point. Well, that's great. It airs on January 1st on Fox at eight o'clock and I'm excited. Thanks very much for doing it, John. Uh, well, you know, it was my pleasure. Uh, uh, we, we, we were struggling a bit with what to call this and um the network actually decided that they were going to call it the mash of uh, uh, the comedy that changed television. And I thought this is kind of an interesting thing. I mean, it, it's true. It's absolutely accurate. Uh, but I think it also speaks to where we are, uh, that the landscape is so fractured. Now there's so much, um, you'll pardon the expression noise out there with so many shows that, you have to find a way to say exactly what you are so the audience understands what it is. As opposed to, and one of the things I loved about what you guys did on MASH is you had the best titles for episodes. They were poetic or elegant or, or funny or satirical, and they meant something. Um, and now it's more we're just in this time where you got to grab people's attention and uh, so you have to be more direct than perhaps uh, we we were back in those days yeah it's a very very different landscape and listen when we when we finish here i want to talk to you about doing a similar documentary on big wave daves 
Well, you know, it was a toss up between that and MASH, you know, and it's it just I had to get I, the funding for Big Wave Dave. You wouldn't have any problem getting the funding. <laughs> I had to flip a coin on that one. OK, <laughs> or actually it was between that and uh, and and uh, the uh, the Mary show, which yeah. I was such a wonderful experience for everyone. <laughs> John, thank you very much. Really look forward to seeing it. Great to be with you as always, Ken. Thanks. Again, the documentary is called MASH, the comedy that changed television. And it is on Fox on uh, January 1st at 8 o'clock. By that time, you'll be so sick of football and parades and everything. Uh, You're going to want to watch this thing, uh, even though you will not see my face on it. Still, I recommend it. And that will do it for this edition and this year of Hollywood and Levine. Like I said, taking a couple of weeks off, and uh, I will be back uh, in the new year. But in the meantime, if you're jonesing for more episodes of Hollywood and Levine, go back and check out some of the archives. There's 300 and some odd episodes for you to choose from. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, to Howard Hoffman, to John Wolford, to Bruce and Jason Miller. If you have uh, any comments for me, I have an email address. It is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I'm also on Instagram if you want to check out my New Yorker cartoons and New Yorker rejected cartoons, Hollywood and Levine. And you can also uh, subscribe if you like. Have a great New Year's and we will see you in 2024. Hollywood and the Vine.